friends, welcome to Live Boldly with Sarah Shulton Kranz, a survivor, thriver, adventurer, and believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from handpicked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of Live Boldly with Sarah Shulton Kranz. I have a very special guest on today, Dr. Barbara Steffens, a dear friend and colleague of mine. You will not want to miss this episode. Get yourself your journal, your favorite drink, lean up against a tree if you can, or watch it inside and um, just enjoy what she has to say. Before I go into this, I want to remind you that we have retreats coming up. We have April 7th through the 11th and also June 7th through the 11th. And we also have one in October of 2021 and February of 2022. So if any of those interest you, please message me or email me, sarah at sarahshultoncrans.com. Let's schedule a one-on-one call with you and see if it's the right fit. So let's dive into Dr. Barbara Steffens. She has specialized in the area of sexual addiction and providing help for the partners of sex addicts since 1999. Her book, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, How Partners Can Hope, Cope and Heal, co-authored with Marsha Means, is dramatically affecting change in the lives of those who are victims and the professionals who are trained to serve them. Dr. Steffens has been instrumental in shaping an alternative model for helping partners, one which views the partner as someone who has experienced a life-altering traumatic event and not as a co-addict or, quote, part of the problem, unquote. Speaking at international and national conferences on sexual addiction and educating her peers on the traumatic effects, disclosure of this addiction has on the partner she is recognized as an expert in this field. So we dive into relational and betrayal trauma. It is just a fascinating, uh, wonderful, wonderful um, podcast episode for all of you. Her uh, experience and what she has brought to this field literally changed my life. So I am thrilled and honored to have her on. Enjoy this episode. Please share with your friends, share with uh, on social media, tag me and let me reshare in my stories. I welcome you. Have a wonderful time listening and I hope you learn as much from her as I have. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly podcast. I have on a very special guest and a dear friend and colleague, somebody that I look up to so, so much. Um, Dr. Barbara Steffens Steffens is on, and we're going to be talking everything about relational and betrayal trauma, something that I knew nothing about seven years ago, about seven and a half years ago. Um, And you have been instrumental I'm going to say, in really helping people, helping partners to understand what relational and betrayal trauma is all about. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm just really blessed and honored to have you on today because you, you are it. Like you are, there, there are a few people in my life that have changed the direction of everything in my healing and you are one of them. So thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much, Sarah. My goodness. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking us. forward to our talk. Yeah, I am too. I've been looking forward to our talk. I'm like, let's dive. <laughs> you know, we go deep. So yeah. we're, we okay. are. Deep. 
Um, tell us a little bit. I want people to, first of all, understand your story. Who are you and how did you get into this work? Oh, my goodness. So I'm old enough to have a really long story. So I'll try to shorten it a little bit. Um, so I'm a, a wife, a mom, grandma. Um, I have a doctorate in um, counselor education and supervision. So that's something that's pretty cool. People call me Dr. Steffens. I still smile. Um, went back to school when my kids were in school and became a mental health counselor. Um, got married really young, like at 20, just 20. Um, so went to school, got my uh, degree in counseling, started to do some counseling work and was really having a pretty good career. And then life happened where there was this crisis in my marriage. And having the experience of being a trained mental health counselor who worked in the area of abuse, sexual abuse, uh, domestic violence, working with children, all these kinds of things. I was really well acquainted with trauma just in terms of my professional work. Um, but our crisis happened and it, it really propelled me in trying to figure out what in the world was going on inside of me. I kind of got what was going on with my spouse. I understood addiction. I understood um, when someone is feeling shame, they hide what they're doing. I had no idea that I was married to someone who was hiding all of this stuff from me. And so in the middle of my own pain, um, my counselor hat kind of went on and I started to try to observe and notice what was I experiencing. I read a lot of information around how people were describing women like me and I started to get angry because to me as a trained mental health counselor, it didn't make any sense. Why was I being assessed and diagnosed with a condition? In the olden days, we called it co-addiction. Mm -hmm. When I truly saw in myself and then later with some other women I worked with, what they were experiencing was trauma and what they were experiencing was significant betrayal because they believed one thing to be true. And at a moment in time, all of that got shattered. Yeah. So all their preconceptions, so all of my preconceptions of what my relationship was like got thrown up in the air and I really started to see how I responded and then other women and sought his trauma. So then what I did is I just started to speak. It's not like me. It's not what I was, was doing before. I was doing what people asked me to do. But it became such a passion for me because I saw and heard other women being horribly misunderstood and eventually mistreated when they went to go get help. Mm -hmm. that, that that led me on the path of, of trying to make a difference. So you know, the story and you and I are talking about is um, the story of speaking out against a prevailing way of understanding something and asking people to please put their preconceptions aside and really look at this hurting woman mm -hmm. and assess and look for what's really going on with her or with him after there's been this kind of betrayal. Yeah. And we're talking about sex addiction right now, just for those listening. Yeah. That yeah. Don't know. Um, or sexual compulsion or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so let's back up just for a moment. How do you define relational and betrayal trauma? Um, relational betrayal 
trauma occurs within the context of a relationship where there's an expectation of safety, of um, agreeing to promises made, um, and then that expectation is not met. And but there's a belief that it is being met. So it's it's kind of walking a life believing one thing to be true, and then finding out someone has been hiding and deceiving you. That's relational betrayal. So it's within the context of a relationship where there's kind of a, a mutual dependency and reliance on one another. There's an expectation of safety and there's an expectation of honesty. So when you find out someone's been lying to you for a long time, not been honest, then that's betrayal. And that can be significantly traumatic for the individual who's been betrayed. Right. It just and shatters everything. It shatters everything. I mean, for me, um, I remember the moment <laughs> I can go back, yeah. there, right, where I was yeah. sitting on the couch and was told, by the way, all of this that has been happening in my life, you need to know about it. And that moment mm -hmm. um, was so traumatic for me. It was so, so traumatic for oh, me. Yeah. I hold it over five days, which I do want to also get into as, as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how, you know, you mentioned co-addiction, that that's how, that was the, mm -hmm. uh, the way that people used to look at it, where we, we were viewed as like the co-addict, right? Um, mm -hmm. so now you step out and you have this new way of wanting to, which I love this about you because I'm, I, I'm the same way with forgiveness. Society looks at it as one way and I'm like, mm -hmm. no. No, nope. no, not forgive and forget. No, no, mm -hmm. this, this is, this, you're only re-traumatizing the person who also eventually would like to step into forgiveness. Yes. So let's talk about that. You stepping forth. Do you remember the moment where you stepped forth? I know you do know this, if you could share it, where you said enough is enough. And then yeah. also what did that lead to um, within the context of relational betrayal trauma today? Mm-hmm. Well, just to lead up to it a little bit, it was doing research. So I went back to get my doctorate because I had this passion that this needed to change. Um, as I just kept reading horrible things. <laughs> and I just thought were not true. So I did this research. And um, when the research results really came in, and I found out the percentage of women who experienced significant trauma as a result of finding out about their loved one's secrets. I thought, no one's talking about this and it needs to be talked about. So I put together a couple different presentations. And the main one was I went to a organization that was a professional organization for people who worked in the area of sexual addiction and sexual health. And so I get accepted and I uh, present this little talk on uh, partners really being traumatized partners of sex addicts and someone in relationship with a sex addict. And so I was in this room. I don't remember very much about it, except there were a whole lot of people in there. And I, I describe it as my knees were shaking as I stood there in front of these people that were giants in their field and saying, you're doing it wrong. You're seeing it wrong. And I talked to them about putting on a different way of looking at, we're describing the same person, but my assumption is this is a, a sane, healthy, normal human being who had something totally abnormal and out of the blue hit them. So they're traumatized. 
They're not addicted to their addict, which is what co-addiction is. But they're someone just like anyone else who's had a significant life trauma occur. The difference is this happens in that context of that safe haven, that safe relationship, which makes it even more horrific than if it was a stranger. So anyway, I talked to this group of professionals and then um, when I was done, I was just really glad to have it over with. I was scared to death. And then one by one, several therapists um, and counselors came up and said, thank you for sharing that because I've, I've thought this too. And so I, I really found that I was kind of speaking out, but other people had already had some of those thoughts. So we ended up joining forces, a lot of us, and then we uh, created an organization and have really made a big difference now. So I love that so much because, you know, in my healing journey, there were three words <clears throat> that I lived by. And the first one was truth. And the second one was inspiration. And the third one was hope. And you have to be able, somebody has to get up and speak. Yeah. Somebody yeah. has to. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you're inspiring lives to heal mm -hmm. and giving hope to move on, to move through, mm -hmm. to create the yeah. life. And so Thank you for that. Thank you for having the courage to do that, to be able to speak out on it. Yeah. It's, yeah. That, led, that led to being able to publish a book. And when the book was published, and that was about um, four or five years after my research was completed, that's when the people who were living this in their lives really grabbed it, read it, and contacted me to let me know that it, finally they felt like someone was describing their experience and they felt safe they felt heard and that's what we all need when we go through stuff we got to feel safe and we have to feel heard and validated yes 100 percent. can you speak on i mean sex addiction is something that was the other thing that i honestly knew nothing about prior to this seven years ago i remember being told about sex addiction i was like what the heck is sex addiction um can you just give us a little bit about that. Dive into it a little bit more and tell us simply what is it? Like, what is it? And also, um, you know, for so many people I know, when I talk to them about it, they think of sex addiction as just simply the act of. Could you go more deep into it in terms of the, the you know, pornography, like just everything? Just everything? Just everything. Give it all. <laughs> give it all. Well, how I think of it. So this will be how Bart thinks of it. I wish I, I think love. of it. I think of it as someone who is experiencing some kind of life stress, pain, maybe it's current, maybe it's old pain, um, old frustrations, whatever it is, and they find a way that works, that medicates, that takes away those feelings. And just like any other addiction would, it takes you to a different place for a while so you can escape whatever it is you're trying to escape. And so in sex addiction, the tool that's being used to escape is some kind of sexual fantasy, sexual behavior. Um, and so they kind of started out as this is a friend I can go to every once in a while to feel better. And then pretty soon that friend becomes a monster and takes over their life and then starts to eat away and erode who they really were, who they really are. They get callous. They do things they said they would never, ever do. They start crossing more and more boundaries. And before they know it, they just really feel trapped. 
And that's kind of the essence of an addiction, isn't it? Just feeling trapped in it, knowing you want out and not being able to get out. Right. So it's just another way of trying to, to medicate. Right. And yeah. sometimes the, the, the addiction, I know in my own uh, past relationship, um, the addiction led to other addictions, mm-hmm. right? Which also yeah. happens where it's, okay, now I'm feeling so much shame. I'm going to go into drugs. I'm going to go into mm-hmm. alcohol. Yeah. which can manifest into other stuff. Um, yeah, because yeah, maybe in the initial addictive behavior just isn't doing it anymore. It's not enough. And right. so more things start piling on. And then they start acting so far out of their own value system that they have to do things to cover that up too. Yeah. So it's really like losing a person. Yeah. And recovery for them is really coming back to themselves. So stopping the behavior and then thawing out and becoming real again. So I know that this is a cup that this is a conversation that people are also going to want to have or listen to. But when you are in a couple, is it possible for there to be recovery? And what does that look like for both the addict and then the partner itself? Mm-hmm. Number one, is it possible? I have to believe it's possible. I believe it too. I I have to believe it possible. And I, and I know that it is um, because I've seen people who have done the really, really hard work Mm -hmm. um, to be as healthy as they can be and to stop the addictive behavior and really either come back to themselves or become a new person, the healthy part of who they were meant to be. So I know that to be true because I've seen that in my own life, in my own relationship, as well as other people that I've assisted. So what it takes is for the person with the addictive behavior is first, they have to admit that they have a problem. I mean, that sounds kind of simple, but denial can be so strong and minimizing it and saying, well, it's not that bad, but really recognizing that if they don't take care of it, that they're really going to lose themselves. And so if not physically dying, they die. Mm-hmm. They, they just disappear as who they once were or who they could be. But it takes, you know, being honest. It takes being consistent. It takes um, being willing to look at hard things, maybe hard things in their past, or learn new ways of coping with hard things now. Um, when I'm talking to a group of people who struggle with this, I say, you are on the most courageous journey that I can imagine is doing the work it takes to come out, to really come out, to be that whole person you were meant to be. So it takes great courage, but, and it can be done, but it's, it's a life lifestyle change mm-hmm. as well as a behavior change. So that's what it takes for them. And then within the context of the relationship, that looks like um, no more lying, no more hiding, no deceit, um, being honest with the committed partner and family members, um, being consistent. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Um, Don't say you're going to do it if you know you're not going to. That's just, that doesn't help rebuild trust that's been shattered. Um. There's a reconciliation process that I really, really appreciate. And it starts with the person who did the betraying, taking full responsibility, and then doing all of the work necessary to show themselves to be someone whose heart is going in the direction of wanting to be 
whole and honest. It's not perfection, but it's this is what I want in the direction I'm going. So it starts there. And then the other piece of it is a piece that, that you love to talk about is that that forgiveness process. And it's not like the total act of forgiveness. It's the, I want to do this because this is good for me. Yes. To allow myself to heal. But it has to take that person being willing to entertain that process. Um, I can forgive, like you know, and never trust a person again. Because the forgiveness is about me. And right. it's about me healing. So right. it takes those two people being willing to do those things. And then reconciliation can occur when the person who did the betrayal really regains trust just by doing the things I described before, being consistent, being honest, being vulnerable. And then over time, the person who's been betrayed can start to give a little bit more trust or be willing to think about maybe trusting a little bit someday. So it's a gradual process. It's a decision and it's a decision that, yes, I'm willing to try mm -hmm. to do it, but it's a long uh, journey to walk for yeah. reconciliation. But it really takes both people. I think a lot of times people who have been betrayed feel all the responsibility right. for restoring the relationship, and that is absolutely not accurate. It has to fall predominantly on the person who did, did the betrayal. So I want everybody to truly hear that. Yeah. That. yeah, it it cannot be the weight of that cannot be on the person who was betrayed, who was victimized. Yeah. Yeah. Any responsibility for that person comes after that person is doing restorative work. And then it's always a choice. Do I choose to reconcile or not? And you can choose not to. Uh, so interesting you should bring this up because there has been two words that I was in conversation with people about today. One was about responsibility, responsibility mm -hmm. for self, right? And then the choice to live your life mm -hmm. as you yes. want to be lived out. Yes. Right? I think so many times we hold responsibility for others prior to, be, prior to holding responsibility for self when we all have a responsibility to self each and every day. That's why yeah. I call it, it's a practice. It's a practice it is. of development. Yeah. Do you still it practice is. this today? I'm just curious. <laughs> practice <laughs> choice? I'm literally <laughs> asking you this because yeah. I know it sounds really crazy. I already know this about you. I think sometimes people look at me because of my healing journey and where I've come from. You saw me seven years, eight, almost eight, you know, seven and a half years ago. I was, it was people see me today and they think I've always been like this. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And this is a practice that I do every single day. And I think that people forget that. And yeah. so I want, I'm asking you this question truly because I want my listeners who have gone through this, who are in this to also understand and hear you. Do you yes. still? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it is, it's, it's a work in progress, isn't it? Because sometimes I can find myself getting lulled into, well, I don't have a choice here. Well, that's baloney. Yes. <laughs> I do have a choice. Yes, things happen and I feel certain ways. And I don't have a choice over how my body responds, over how my emotions respond. But I have a choice in what I decide to do about it. 
yeah. or how close or far away I want to be from whatever it is. But yes, I always have choice. That's one of the most fun things I talk about now with partners yeah. is the idea of choice and consent. You so, no one takes away your right to consent. Can we dive into this? Like I'm so sure, giddy let's do it. I think <laughs> I'm so giddy about this right now. I literally had a conversation this morning all about choice. Yeah. Like we have choice in this world. We have choice in our lifetime. You don't yeah. have to stay where you're at right now because you feel, and I think again, we feel so much responsibility for others mm -hmm. that we lose the responsibility for self. And so yeah. tell me about choice and let's talk choice and consent. Oh my Please. goodness. Well, where I hear it a lot of times is particularly from women because that's who I work with and the sense that part of being loving and part of being, if you're a person of faith, being a good practi practitioner of your faith, that you die to yourself mm -hmm. and that somehow that means you don't get a choice anymore. You do the thing that you think other people are going to be the good things for you to do yep. and or give in to things just because you think, well, that other person will be upset. Whatever the reason, we've kind of been conditioned and taught that we don't have that right any longer, or that particularly for women, that we have less of a right to that. And that is absolutely not true. And so when I'm talking to women, I talk about what do you want? What do you choose to do this moment? And you can change your mind. If you choose oh. one thing today, you can choose something different tomorrow. It's an amazing thing. Once you start to exercise that. Yep. It, there's a freedom in that, but it, it really takes understanding where is that other pressure coming from for me to um, relinquish, relinquish my ability to choose for myself? Is it because I care about someone? I don't want to hurt their feelings. Is it um, there's some external expectation? It doesn't matter if I'm going to go along with someone's expectation. That is still a choice. And so I get to choose. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Where another area I'm seeing that is in the area of sexuality, mm. especially where women feel like they don't have the ability to give consent um, within a committed relationship. So that's probably a whole other topic, but that, that ability to have consent, no one can take that away from you. Well, let's, let's touch on that as well, because this is actually really important too. that whole um, topic of consent. You have choice for that. Mm -hmm. Right. And yes. so can we, can we just talk a little bit about that as well? Um, when, where you're seeing this within relationships. Mm -hmm. Where I see it in the relationship is, is um, first and foremost, if there's been this sexual addiction and these secrets, a partner could not give consent mm -hmm. because they did not know to be able to consent to having a sexual relationship with someone who perhaps was sexually acting out outside of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's there. That's a, a place where you have been violated because you could not, you were not allowed to give consent because you were not informed. And so now consent means I need to know so that I can make informed decisions about my own body and about my sexuality and about our sexual relationship. And so people who've been um, in a committed relationship for any period of time, and again, people of faith sometimes get these really distorted beliefs 
that somehow when they said yes to this individual, that that ability to consent um, went out the window, and it does not. It's it's just one of those foundation human being right things that we were granted when we were created. So, but that's where I see it um, really hurting a lot of people who've been betrayed is having not been able to give consent and then getting messages like, well, you don't have a right to that information. He's working his part, his recovery. You have to work on yours. And so you can't have information about is he sober or not? Is he sexually betraying you right now or not? And how can you consent to be in a relationship if you're not given that information? So even the whole restoration process in a relationship requires the ability to give consent. Exactly. So it, it, it just means being totally honest and, and that it's okay to require that. It in fact, it's essential to yeah. require that for your own good, for your own safety. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I, I think so much goes back to truth, right? That yeah. one word, truth, mm-hmm. so simple. Yeah. So I want to dive into um, as well uh, when we're talking about this within a relationship and, you know, relationships are something that keeps that I've been really diving into with a lot of people. What is considered a quote, healthy relationship? What parts do we need for this healthy relationship? And how do we um, go back to that space within the relationship? Can we touch on that a little bit more from your viewpoint? What creates the healthy relationship? Oh, I think the more honest, more truth, the the more vulnerability and being real in a relationship, um, the more there is mutual uh, consideration and respect for one another, you know, to honor someone's yes or no Mm -hmm. and to respond to it and not try to manipulate them to change their mind. That's a healthy relationship where... There's a oneness that you have together, so uh, 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 an identity for the relationship, but it never loses the two individuals and their uniqueness and their capacity to say yes or no to whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. When it gets unhealthy is when there's all these other things that we do to one another, try to manipulate to get what we want. A healthy relationship doesn't do that. Yeah. So when we're talking about the choice piece, and we're going to kind of go back and just for a moment, so many of my clients that are in relationship with somebody that has, um, that where they do have sex addiction, or there has been any type of betrayal at all, it's this piece of, do I stay or do I go and somebody tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. you've heard that many, many oh, yeah. times. Oh my gosh, so many times. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's this, and I, and in, in conversation with my clients, it's this whole piece of, well, but I have kids and I have this and I have finances and I have that. How do you work with somebody to get them to a place of clarity to make that decision for self? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I know that I'm asking a very deep question here. Um, but how do you do that? How do you get to that space of helping them to understand, am I ready to leave or I want to stay? Well, I would say the first thing that I do is validate how hard it is. That's yeah. a, who wants to be in that space? People don't 
get in committed relationship thinking someday I'm going to have to figure out, am I going to stay or not? Right. And so just finding yourself in that space and then trying to think about all the consequences and all the options is overwhelming. And when you've been traumatized, betrayed, it's hard to think clearly anyway, let alone figure out what do I do? And so I validate where they are. And yeah, this is complicated. It's painful. There's no there's no happy answer here. There's no pain-free process at that, at that moment. And so it's ultimately, once we kind of understand, yeah, you didn't want to be here. This shouldn't be happening. This, this is really crappy for you. I'm really so sad that you're having to deal with this. Then what we do is just go to who they are and who they want to be. So their values um, what are the most important things for them in their life? So I take them through this, this kind of visioning process of figuring out, you know, what are the highest priorities for you, the highest values? If it's not breaking up the family and that's what's right on top, then that's the driver for the decision for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but really having them explore it. And why is that one a value at that level and this one is not? And so it's a process. It's an exploration where they get to know themselves better. Yeah. Um, and I just slow it down. Sometimes they can hear so much pressure to make a quick decision or they feel that pressure themselves thinking, well, if I decide I'm going to feel better. No, when you decide, you just know kind of which side of those street you're going to be walking on, but it's still a really, really hard street. So you used three words that I want everybody to come back to as well. And you said for right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that goes back to choice. Choice. Absolutely. (laughs) That the choice and the decision, this is why in my book, I actually say what there's a section in there, take the pressure off choice, Mm -hmm. right? Like we have this thought processes on that. I have to make this choice right now. And then I have to stay with this choice for the rest of my life. Yeah. No, no. How can you? How you don't can know you? What's, you don't know what's around the corner. Exactly. And so I love the fact that you said for right now, and hopefully that will take some pressure off the people listening to this where they're sitting there asking themselves, yeah. okay, and what do I do? Or, mm-hmm. you know, they use that word, but, but what about this, 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 this? Yeah. Um, and it is a deep self-exploration. I had to go through that. Yeah. You've had to go. Uh, I had to go through that. It was really hard. It's very hard because it's very hard. You know, there are so many things I value. So, but which one is going to guide me for right now? And then if it changes, then I have to look at what's, what is driving me at that point. And is that the way for me to be my truest self right now? Then that's what I need to do. So yes, for right now and not making a decision is a decision Thank you. I can decide I can't decide right now. And that's a good decision because you'll know when you can make the next one and then you make the next one. Right. I think, you know, for me and, and let's kind of go into this space too, that, you know, as the partner, you have this opportunity to understand yourself so much more deeply through Mm -hmm. this. Um, And even if you're in it right now and you're not seeing it as a gift, I promise you, just my example coming out of this is that the biggest gift for me through all of this 
was the fact and is the fact that still today I am learning so much more deeply about myself Mm -hmm. having experienced all of that pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I learned all sorts of things about myself. I was so scared of just about anything and everything before. I still get a little nervous when I do some things, but there's so many places that I've gone that I thought before I would never go. But it's because I, I didn't have to develop those muscles right away. I developed them over time as I got stronger, as I knew myself more, as I felt more free to be myself and explore things that interested me so that the me now versus the me before, sometimes I don't recognize myself. And, and that's a good thing. It's only because I don't, I don't recognize the level of freedom that I experience now yeah. versus before some of the fears that I had. I didn't know why I had all those fears. I had all sorts of stuff that was going on inside of me before I really knew what was going on in my relationship. And then some things really made sense. Oh, well, that's why I was feeling that way. Yeah. Kind of like my body knew and my mind didn't. But yeah, it's the process of recovery, and I don't even like to use that word, healing, yeah. restoring after yeah. betrayal. Um, not one that anyone would choose, but we can receive it as an opportunity to really grow and become who, who we can be. And who we can be proud of being. Do you find that those partners, and I already know the answer to this, but I, I want everybody to hear it from you. Do you find that those partners who make that choice to step into that deepest uh, personal development, healing, restoration process, do you find that their healing, that their um, transformation, I guess you could say, through all of this differs from those that don't because there are people that don't make that choice. I've seen it. Yeah. Then, uh, then the, and they do heal just in a very different way. Do you find it to be an absolute, just a, a mind, almost like a mind boggling between mm-hmm. those who make that choice and those that don't? Yes. Yes, I really do. And it makes sense to me. Um, you know, what we know about trauma is that it's horrible and it shakes everything up. And then we know about resilience is growing out of it and gaining new strength, new skills, new awareness, new depth, that that's part of traumatic growth and it's part of resilience. And we can choose whether we're going to go there or not. The, ch- the choice of resilience and growth is the choice for life. It really is. And the kind of life that you think about that I'm not seeing outside my window right now. I see white from snow, but life of things blooming and growing and green and bright and with hope. I think sometimes when people choose the what they think is the easier way of not doing that deep work, it, they kind of just stay stuck. And maybe they need to do that for a period and that's okay. But if that's your life decision, to not allow yourself to grow, then you're really going to miss out on an awful lot. Yeah. Thank you for that nature metaphor too, by the way. I like that. (laughs) Underneath all that snow, there are, there's a lot of light. There's, there's life there. I know there is. And it may feel cold right now, but you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) I want to talk, I do want to touch on this before we, um, before we depart, because I think that there is this, you know, when we, when we have discovery, 
Okay. And that's, um, and I want you to touch on what discovery is for you uh, in the professional work, but then we have something called um, disclosure. And, you know, my disclosure was not professionally done. And I do not recommend that by the way, even though for me it worked, um, but I do not recommend doing this without a professional. I want to touch on that because I think I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the former version of me who didn't have a clue what those words even were. And then realized, oh, I totally did this without a professional and that wasn't very safe, <laughs> but I didn't know. And mm-hmm. so you don't know what you don't know. Right. So let's touch on that. Okay. What is discovery and what is disclosure? Well, discovery is kind of that point in time where what was secret now has um, is no longer secret. And usually in my research, it was 75% of the time it was the person who's being betrayed is the person who found it, is the person who discovered it. So it's that process of, yeah, it's like stepping on a landmine. I didn't know, and now all of a sudden I know something. And it has this really, really negative kind of emotional reaction, response, traumatic response. So that's discovery. Discovery can happen other person telling you or finding out other ways. But um, majority of the time, the person who's being deceived is the one who finds out and that's that blow this traumatic um disclosure is someone willingly sharing previous secrets to the person they have betrayed so it's that that um planned and willing process of answering questions and giving details that's going to help the person who is betrayed make sense of or at least put things in place that they didn't know anything about. So when someone has discovery, what they do is they start to think about all the things, all the memories that they have in the relationship and trying to think, well, was they, were they acting out then? Was, were they betraying me then? And disclosure answers those kinds of questions. It puts things in place. So when I'm watching someone going through a disclosure session, I can see them visibly putting things in their own timeline so they'll look up and you can just see they're saying okay that was then and so it's a way of helping their brain make sense out of what happened and put their history together because one thing that's been shattered is their perception of what their history was and now they're having more pieces added but it is it's it's planned it's uh supported it's uh as safe as possible so that it, it is a productive process for both people. It's really helpful, helpful for the person who's betrayed because they get really anxious and they ruminate and wonder and their brain is you know, just going all the time trying to figure out what else don't I know because I know what I didn't know really hurt me. Right. And I never wanna not know again. So it helps slow that and stop that process. And for the person who's disclosing, who's sharing this information, they're taking responsibility, they are confessing, and they are getting rid of their secrets. And we know if they hang on to their secrets, that just fuels the potential for more acting out and more lies. So it's really being honest. And then that sets a foundation where if both people want to continue, they're at least starting to build a relationship on a solid foundation of honesty. I think it's really hard to build a relationship 
after betrayal without a foundation of honesty. And that right there is exactly, that was going to be my next question. Can mm -hmm. you build a relationship back up without having full disclosure? Yeah. Without understanding and knowing the truths. Mm -hmm. And I think some people do that. Maybe they know enough. Right. To feel like I have a good solid foundation. Other people don't do it because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. And so they don't do it or it's not available to them. There's a lot of people that didn't have that experience. I didn't have that experience. It wasn't available. So we probably did it like you did. We'll sit down and talk. Yeah. I don't <laughs> not the fun way to do that. It's like getting a tooth pulled without anesthesia or something. Yeah, it's just pretty much yeah. what it was like for me. Yeah. It was like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And but this is a, a hmm. safe, planned process that is for both individuals and it's so mutually respectful yes. um, that it really can then be a, a, a ground to then start to bring healing and that's even if the relationship doesn't survive right it's still important to bring healing absolutely and that's that's why i wanted to bring this uh full circle with this is because mm -hmm. for so many people it's this whole thought processes on well i don't want and i'm afraid to know more Mm -hmm. Right. Or, yeah. um, you know, I don't need to know it all or whatever the case may be. But remember, there's two sides to this as well. And so when I had, again, do not recommend doing this without <laughs> professional help. No. Again, though, I mean, we had multiple addictions happening here, too. So there mm -hmm. was there was it was layer on layer on layer on layer on layer that I was finding out about. Um but truthfully for me also, and I knew this, that in order for him to step into his true self, mm -hmm. he also had to relinquish all of the shame and all of the secrets and all of the hiding and all like he needed to get to that space yeah. where he mm -hmm. could let that go too and say, yes, this is what I've been doing for 14 mm -hmm. of our 17 years of marriage. And we needed to do that so that I could heal, so that he could heal, and so that we could then come together and co-parent for our kids. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, you know, it's just it for, for us again, that was brutal though. Doing it without professional was brutal. And, and yeah. again, I don't recommend that. Um, no, nope. I don't recommend it either. The trauma was a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that's also why I wanted to bring this up too, is because of what is a relationship and, and in terms of going full circle into, this is the next piece a relationship. And I want everybody to remember this too, whatever choice you make, mm -hmm. that's your right. choice and you can create whatever you choose. Yes. And so if you stay in the marriage, if you don't stay in the marriage, if you stay in the partnership, if you don't stay in the partnership, the healing is essential, period. Mm -hmm. it's, it's right. essential for yourself, for one another, and whatever relationship that you choose to have moving forward. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Because then you're, you're moving forward with truth. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to do that because the, the brain will try to figure out what don't I know yeah. and it increases anxiety, all of those symptoms that we don't want to have to carry around the rest of our lives. Exactly. And so it really, it kind of just gives a, a space to say, okay, now I know, now I can move forward in whatever direction I choose to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Freedom and peace. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners uh, when it comes to this topic um, or anything that you have found to be a, a piece of necessity uh, in healing or whatever it is, personal, professional, anything? Yeah, I think the, the main thing 
uh, for me is always reminding people that um, not only do you not have to go through this alone, but you weren't made to go through this alone. We, we are relational beings. So if this is part of what you're going through, um, find someone. Um, you're listening to this podcast. You already know of at least one person that knows how to come alongside of you and assist you. Sarah does a phenomenal job with that. But find people. Um, you may not be able to tell your closest family member or somebody right away, but one of the first things is knowing the greatest fear is if I tell someone they're going to blame me or they're not going to understand, um, but that there are so many of us who do understand. And if you start with one of us, then you can move out your circle and start to test the waters and find other support systems, but don't do it alone. Don't keep it a secret. Thank you. Yes, yes, and yes, 100%. Yeah. Yes. And, and in our world right now, this is not something that's talked about. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And if it is, it's laughed about. So finding safe people to share this with, and that's where starting with a coach first, some, someone like that might be the best thing to do because you know that they're going to treat you with ultimate respect and gentleness and care. Yes. Every story should for sure be treated with respect. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, can you give us the title of your book again? So that and yeah. I'm into the intro as well Yeah, and in the show notes, um, but give us the title of your book again. It is amazing. Yeah. It's called Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, How Partners Can Cope and Heal. And it was released in 2009. My hope is we're going to get to do a revision of it. Oh, wonderful. I didn't That'd be cool. That's, well, I'm not sure yet, but I'm hoping. That would be wonderful. That yeah. would be wonderful. Yes. I will let you know if that yeah, becomes. Please do. Absolutely. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. And um, we will continue to stay in touch. Is there anywhere that people can reach you if they would like to? Sure. Then go to my website, which is drbarbarastephens.com. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you on. As Aww, always. My pleasure. Thank you. Friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I am grateful to have you here, and I would love to invite you over to sarahsheltoncrans.com to grab my free seven steps to a joy-filled life. I share these seven steps from my own heart, soul, and experience. These steps transformed my own life from victim to survivor. Also, please, let's all be a ripple effect of change in today's world. I ask of you to please share this podcast with others that may need to be inspired or who need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review, go to my Instagram or Facebook page, and let me know what you think. I love hearing from each and one of you. I love sharing your thoughts, messages, and inspiring words. Because we are not alone in this world, friends. Let's keep the ripple moving. It begins with each one of us. I love you and have a great remainder of your day. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.